back to the Fourth Way Podcast. In our last episode, we took a look at the impact government has on Christianity. I concluded that government tends to have an alluring power, a power which tempts and corrupts. Governmental power causes us to idolize the state as a savior. It causes us to become consequentialists who justify our means with our intended ends. It causes us to exploit and to do violence to others. It causes us to lord power over others and to create outgroups which we demonize and hate. And it causes us to define good and evil for ourselves and to refuse submitting to God's foolish means. Government corrupts Christianity and is antithetical to it because it seeks to usurp God's kingship with humanity's kingship. Now, if you're just jumping into this series with this episode, I just made a lot of assertions here. And I want to encourage you to listen to all of the other episodes where I lay out a much larger case and try to evidence what I just said. In this episode, my goal is going to be to show not how government corrupts Christianity or morality, but rather how it actually impacts the world. What are the results of government on the world? What is its fruit? Because by its fruit, won't we kind of have a clear picture of of what it actually is? Now, obviously, I take a, a pretty negative view of government. So I'm going to be focused largely on the negative aspects here. However, I want you to understand a few things before I get into the fruit of government. First, I, I want you to know that I'm not focusing on the negatives of government in an attempt to just cherry-pick bad things and say, see, look, there are some bad things, government's bad. I can acknowledge that there are some good results of government. However, it seems to me that the perception of the good government uh, is, is far bigger than our perception of the bad. Therefore, I, I feel like I need to kind of uh, fill up the other side of the scale because you all most likely have filled up the good side. Now, you might say, no, 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 I, I don't like government. But for as much as we in the United States talk badly about government and how little we, tr- we say we trust them, we love our roads, we love our oil subsidies, and we love our favored status in the world. We like the comforts our government brings us. I and everyone else I know cashed our stimulus checks. I'm sure there are some people out there who didn't, but we like it, right? We might think that we despise government, but they're our sugar daddy, and deep down, we have a masochistic attraction to them. Second, much of the good that we attribute to governments are falsely attributed goods. Now, I'll explore this more in an episode or two when I talk about legislation, but here's the brief rundown. Oftentimes, especially with legislation, governments implement policies retroactively, after public sentiment has already changed. However, we have a tendency to attribute the resultant good to the policy rather than to the public sentiment which had already shifted and directed policy. We give government the credit for what they merely recognized as if they were responsible for the good that came about. Finally, many of the good things done by governments are things which would have been done, and probably done better, without government involvement. Yes, governments can do things on a larger scale, and uh, especially if it's a a huge scale, they can do things at a more rapid pace than, than an individual. I mean, think interstate highway systems here. However, that doesn't mean that those things wouldn't have eventually been done by someone else in the private realm 
uh, and done without the trade-off of stealing money from taxpayers, pushing through billions of dollars of pork barrel legislation, and granting the government more power and creating more laws. If the government wouldn't have created an interstate highway system by now, Amazon sure would have. Obviously, we could discuss whether or not Amazon would have arisen without a highway system for transportation and delivery, and, and we could get into some very tall weeds kind of going down all the trails we could go down. Just know that any goods we attribute to government come at a cost. I hear Christians complain all the time that the government is doing the church's work of helping the poor, when it used to be the church who did social programs like that. And that's just one example of where the government stepped in. The church backed off, and government took more money and created all sorts of programs and laws, and we all complain. We complain because the church isn't being the church. We're not the ones helping the poor. We complain because the government is taking tons of tax money. They're stealing from us. We complain because the government just hands out money, and that's not really community. That doesn't fix problems. That enables. Um, we complain because this exchange uh, enables apart from relationship, and it, it, uh, there's little discretion in, in giving. We complain because the government mismanages funding that goes towards social programs which are often ineffective. We complain because we've given the government more power, there's been more legislation, and a whole constituency has been built around a group being funded by the government. So is it really good that the government is helping the poor? Maybe, but there's a huge cost to it, and it would be better if individuals and private groups would do it. Okay. So with, with that preface out there, let's get into the impact that governments have, have had on the world. I debated how I wanted to go about doing this, and I thought about discussing human rights and all the ways that they've been subverted through legislation, tyrannical individuals, and tyrannical majorities. I thought about discussing the ways that we economically exploited other nations, whether that was through forced labor or basically stealing from them by force. I mean, there, there are lots and lots and lots of things that we could discuss, and most of those things that I just mentioned are, you know, you'd have arguments like, well, this legislation did this damage, and somebody would say, well, no, it didn't, because it was, it was offset by this good, and you, you get down into deep, deep weeds. So I, I felt like we would be going down some pretty long paths that I, I'm not really interested in going down here. I don't want to dig down into the nuances of hundreds of countries through several millennia. There are tons of podcasts and resources out there which dig deep into that kind of thing. Um, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History is one of my favorites, which, while it doesn't focus on the horror of government, ends up illuminating those things in, in just about every series he does, and he's awesome. So what I ultimately landed on for this episode is I'm just going to focus on one thing, democide or or the killing of humans by governments now uh, the amazing thing is to to show you how bad governments are i i don't even need to get into all of the the tons and tons of ways that they're bad just this this one area is so egregiously bad that i i think it's fruit rotten enough to to show you to make the point that I'm trying to make. And now, I'm only going to scratch the surface in terms of number of countries I mention 
And, and in that, I'm only going to scratch the surface of the atrocities of each nation that is mentioned. And in that, I'm only going to scratch the surface of the time frame, uh, the time that each of those nations has been around. So when we talk about just scratching the surface, this would be like a feather scraping across the top of your epidermis. This is barely scratching the surface of the rotten fruit of government. It is a minute but horrendous example um, of, of the horrors that government brings. And what I hope you'll understand here isn't that I'm saying evil and horror wouldn't exist if government didn't, but rather that governments are no panacea. And in fact, they're one of the major problems, one of the, the major evils. The entity of, of just one government can kill and destroy on a level unimaginable. So uh, what I like to do is I like to compare governments to individual homicides from around the world. So for example, the homicide rate worldwide has been about 400,000 per year, you know, sometimes 350, sometimes 450, but about 400,000 per year since 1990. And our population has has boomed, so... Um, yeah, we've got more people today, and, and it's still around 400,000. It would take approximately 150 for a low estimate and 300 years for a high estimate at current, current rates of homicide to reach the number of casualties caused by governments in World War II, a war spanning only six years. And depending on if you took the low estimation or the high, right? We could, it just, it gets worse, right? The low estimate is 150 years to reach um, at current homicide levels for individuals to reach what governments did in six. So for this episode, I'm just going to list some of the most egregious results of government. And at the end, I'll, I'll also throw in some of what I think are some of the other terrible highlights, which in terms of numbers might not all be uh, the worst, but in terms of just malevolence uh, are, I, I think, terrible. All right, so number one, World War II. A low estimate has 60 million deaths as a result of World War II, the vast majority of which were civilians. Approximately two-thirds, two-thirds of deaths were, were civilians. And there are lots of reasons for that, but allies and Germans uh, and Axis powers alike purposefully bombed civilians. They, they designed their ordinance to do lots and lots of damage and spread to civilians. They, they yeah, it, it was horrendous, right? Civilians were targeted by all governments, and they, it was considered reasonable to do that. The bombing of Dresden, the Tokyo fire bombings, which the Tokyo fire bombings actually killed more people than the atomic bombs, um, and then, of course, the atomic bombs, and those are just some of the, the worst examples and all of those were done by the Allies. Now, of course, you have the Holocaust for the Germans, but um, the Allies were no, uh, no Boy Scouts. Number two, Mao's China. You, know, you, you always get into, especially when you deal with communism and stuff, uh, you deal with lots of different numbers thrown around. But the consensus that I saw for Mao's China was that 45 million people died in four years. Men, and this is one country, many indirectly through starvation or overwork. 
so figuring out the the atrocities to list here um i mean i if they were if they were political prisoners and basically because of if they were targeted and mistreated and died as as a result of that mistreatment i think it's fair to count this as government atrocity um so 45 million people in 4 years mao's china number 3 world war 1 saw about 20 million dead as a low estimate Right, so anytime you have a low estimate, just double that for the high estimate. That's kind of it's usually how it works. Um, so forty million, right, would be a high estimate. But twenty million people dead in four years. Number four, about three to five million people died under the Stalin regime as a result of the state. Now, a lot of times, sixty million is thrown around for Stalin or or some crazy number like that. And from my understanding, modern modern scholars say no, we don't, we just can't validate that that's that's way inflated um but hey if it was 60 million i i would uh, put that number in here because it would help my case but i think um three to five million is a safe bet for for what the stalin regime was responsible for through gulags and direct killings and all that kind of stuff number five the cambodian genocide killed about two million people and cambodia is not a huge country i don't think um, so 2 million people. Soviet war crimes against Afghanistan killed about 1 million people. The Rwandan genocide in 100 days killed half a million people. All right, that's a short list. Short list, but it's powerful. Why is it powerful? Well, because in only seven events, we saw the deaths of over 130 million people. And that's the low estimate for each of those events. You double that, you get 260 million for the high estimate. All of those deaths occurred in the 20th century and collectively covered about a 40-year span, if you add up all the years over which those atrocities took place. These are just a few examples of atrocities, and these are only the worst examples from one century of data. And this counts the people killed. It doesn't count the people raped. It doesn't count the people tortured. It doesn't count the people maimed, disfigured, um, all of that stuff. It only accounts uh, deaths, and it only counts atrocities that are direct. So, for example, it doesn't count preventable deaths to the poor who are who are poor due to either their own government's corruption and funneling of resources, or as a result of other nations exploiting them. So, if if um, you've got people who could have this this uh, I know a lot of people die from lung issues or uh, house fires because of the types of stoves that a lot of impoverished people have to use from around the world. So if their government basically could increase their their standard of living, but their standard of living is low because the government funnels money and and is corrupt, then really okay, they die from a house fire or from lung cancer from their their um, their dirty stove, but ultimately, they have that dirty stove because of government corruption or because um, first world uh, developed world uh, developed countries are exploiting them and preventing them from from re- or paying them fair wages all all kinds of stuff right so i'm not even that gets into weeds and and you know you could argue that all day long i'm not even counting that indirect kind of stuff i'm only counting direct murders that's it that's it So how much infrastructure, how many roads, or how many social programs does it take to justify giving any institution the kind of power 
that with just a few countries for a few decades can kill 130 to 260 million people directly through homicide. I mean, if we just take the rate of, of deaths for that 40, 40-ish year period, let's call it 40 years, um, of, of what, 130 million people killed, it would take 325 years at modern homicide, individual homicide rates to, to reach that. 325 years for the low count. Half a millennium for over half a millennium for, for a high count. That's just insane. Insane. All right, so so governments are pretty terrible, right? And that's that's just a small sampling. Like I said, feather scratching the epidermis. Now let let's get into some of, of my other favorite highlights to to point out the wickedness of government. And because I'm a US citizen, I'm gonna focus on the US because that's that's what I'm familiar with. What is what has my government done that maybe uh, doesn't reach the numbers of some of these other things? Some of them do, but is just in, in terms of horrendous evil. Well, in our short history, we have initiated a genocide against Native Americans, murdering millions to tens of millions of them through guns. And yeah, we did purposefully uh, try to give them blankets with diseases and things. I've, I've read the primary source quotes of, of some of those people arguing those things. I don't know that, that that was necessarily like every president or how high up it was. But yeah, we did that. Um, and of course, there were a lot of Native Americans who died inadvertently from diseases. But um, had we had the chance to purposefully do that, uh, we would have opted for that, right? We were glad. Uh, our our nation was glad that the Native Americans were having the diseases. So, yeah, we would have we would have done it if we could have, but we didn't have to in in some cases. So we committed genocide and had genocide in our hearts against the Native Americans and stole their land. Um, and when we made treaties and we found gold on their land, we took back those treaties and uh, ripped them off. What else did we do? Well, we wrote slavery into our government, into the founding documents. And we supported, uh, supported the buying, the selling, the kidnapping, the beating, the raping, the murder of millions of slaves, and subsequently black men and women in our, our nation. We forcefully sterilized black women and Native American women, as, as well as the poor. Even approving of this practice, there is a Supreme Court case Buck versus Bell, and I think it was 1929. Um, Buck versus Bell, a Supreme Court case, justifies um, sterilizing people, uh, not just women, but men as well. And you can you can actually go. They, I think it was North Carolina, Virginia, something. I know on YouTube, you can find an interview with somebody who's who was old when they interviewed him, but um, where he talks about how he was sterilized and why. Uh, I think they did something like 30,000 in, in various states. We also used black women, black men, and prisoners as experiments for medical practices and treatment. Tuskegee experiments, one of the most famous, but, but there were definitely others uh, that used prisoners and black women. We created legislation in 1970. Let that sink in. 1970, which led to the forced sterilization of Native American women. This is after the Civil Rights Act, which I, I know that we usually think Civil Rights Act is, is primarily focused on um, African Americans at that time. 
but you know, we're talking about civil rights, like just in general. And in 1970, we our our government um, had legislation which led to the forced sterilization of Native American women. We have overthrown a number of democratically elected leaders in South America and the Middle East, Iran being the the best example, and. In, in some cases, like in Iran, we actually installed tyrannical, torturous, pro-West dictators who made their own people disappear, right? who were horrendous. For most Americans, they don't know why Iran hates us. They just know that in 1979, Iran uh, grabbed some American hostages, right? I mean, why would they do that to us? Well, because our government is evil. Governments are evil, and... Um, we overthrew a democratically elected official in their government. What else did we do? We created unjust wars to land grab or to secure interests like oil interests uh, or whatever. So think Spanish-American War, land grab, Iraq, oil interests, uh, and, and uh, other interests in the Middle East. Those are, are two great examples, but they're not the only ones. We've supported tyrants and fostered proxy wars like the one which raged over the past seven years or so in Yemen, leading to the starvation and malformation of over 100,000 children and the death and anguish of countless other Yemenis. Why? Because we like Saudi Arabia. They, they help to control things for us, keep oil prices cheap for us, and they buy lots of, lots of weapons for, from us that they use to starve Yemeni children. Again, this, this only gets into the deaths as a direct result of our violent policies and actions. This doesn't even touch the exploitation of countries which our economic policies create. Now, after all of this, I don't want you to hear me saying that the United States is uniquely evil. That mentality is us and them thinking. Yemen can look at the U.S. and say, we're the worst. And you know what? They're right. We are. Right now, the United States is the worst. The United States is Babylon. Go read Revelation and you tell me that the United States is not Babylon. But the thing is, if Yemen was to one day gain the power and influence of the United States at the moment, Yemenis today would be fools to think that they wouldn't then be Babylon. The United States may be the manifestation of Babylon in today's age, but the rest of the nations are all vying to be Babylon as well. And one day, when the United States falls, the oppressed will cry out, Babylon has fallen, only to be met with a new Babylon. Babylon is not a unique entity. It is the entity within the heart of every nation who seeks to usurp God by having a king like all the other nations and to lord power over others like the Gentiles do. All nations are either Babylons or Babylons in training, waiting for their time to shine. But that's not what it's to be for the nation of God. We are not to be Babylon or to seek her temptations. Rather than be enticed by her glimmer and shine, a polished veneer and facade, we are to be alternative lights which shine a light in this dark world and draw humanity to the true king who will not be dethroned and the only one who offers true freedom. Our true and only king is the giver and sustainer of life, not the purveyor of death. That's all for now. So peace, and because I'm a pacifist, 
When I say it, I mean it. This podcast is a part of the Kingdom Outpost Network. Please check out the links below to find other great podcasts and content related to nonviolence and kingdom living.